of antiquity uh, in the Mediterranean region. So we were in Crete and um, Greece and Italy, um, to name a few. And, and so we came back with a lot of experiences that we were very grateful for. Um, but there was one in particular that sort of stands out amidst all of the others. And I think we're both grateful for it for a number of reasons, which will become clear as I sort of as I explain it. So um, there were two ports in Israel. We were on uh, a cruise ship. And there were two ports in Israel that we were going to. One was in Ashdod, and the other was in Haifa. And then there were excursions that were scheduled from each of those stops to go to places in Israel. So um, we got into Ashdod, which is in the southern part of Israel, um, around 6 o'clock in the morning. And we were up because we were scheduled to take a tour that day to uh, Masada. And if you're not familiar with Masada, it's sort of the one of the last events of the first uh, Jewish-Roman War. Herod the Great had a palace there uh, that there are still ruins of and, and so forth. And so it was someplace that we were really looking forward to going. So, But we had to be, had to meet our group at 645. So we had to get up and get ready and get some breakfast and then go. So I think I was ready. Sally was just about ready, finishing up. And we were going to go to breakfast. And I just happened to walk out on our deck that was kind of at the back of... Uh, of our suite, which was at the very back of the ship, aft, I believe is the correct term. Um, and so all of a sudden, I, I'm seeing these flashes of light. And there's one that's kind of streaming overhead, and then there's a couple of others that come up from this place that was a little bit beyond where we were. And like I said, we're just getting into the port. We're not even fully docked yet. <laughs> and <laughs> I've got to tell you, the very first thought I had was, Wow, Israel really knows how to welcome people. <laughs> They're shooting off fireworks for us. That is so cool. Um, that's not what it was. It was only later that I realized that what I was seeing was Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system in real-time operation. Um, what we didn't realize, because it was so early, but as we began to check the news, we discovered that it was that day, Tuesday the 12th, that the Israeli Defense Force had assassinated a jihadist leader. And this was, their response was they were now shooting rockets into Israel. And this was the Iron Dome, which is Israel's defense system that knocks those rockets out of the air off course. So <laughs> we're basically right in the middle of a war. And so, um, I don't know what the top speed of a cruise ship is, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure we hit it as we were leaving, because we never even docked. They, evidently, they said, hey, you can't stay here, there's a security problem. They didn't tell us what it was, so we just, we're like booking it away, and we're all like going, what, what's going on? You know, so it wasn't until much later that we sort of understood um, what had happened. Um, Needless to say, and we found out that they had closed all the schools in southern Israel, they had stopped all of the trains and the transportation there uh, because of these attacks. And so we were grateful, obviously, because 
we weren't in southern Israel when all of this <laughs> began to happen on, on some bus. Uh, so that was a, you know, a huge thank you. But I think the other thing that we were grateful for was, that was actually getting to, to see what life in Israel is like on an almost daily basis. You know, that these attacks come whenever. And the Israelis deal with this. I mean, this is their way of life. Um, you know, kindergartens that are underground so that they can't be targeted. I mean, it's, it's that kind of thing. It was, it, it was that, I guess, realization of the uh, reality that they, they live in and with on a daily basis. And so we were certainly great had a lot of gratitude towards uh, the fact that we not only missed <laughs> any kind of serious injury, but also that we kind of got to see, you know, what their everyday existence looked like. And, and then it was interesting as we, uh, and so obviously we did not go to Basada. We just had to skip that trip, unfortunately. Um, but Haifa is north of Ashdod, and so as we, we went straight up there, and they let us dock, and uh, we did get to do our um, excursions to the other, uh, like Bethlehem and Nazareth and some of the other the spots, the Sea of Galilee, which I may have more to say on later on, but not today. Um, and so, you know, that experience and that, that, that gratefulness of what we sort of experienced in that, that time and I guess the fact that it's Thanksgiving, you know, it's coming up next week, it, it's, it really got me thinking more about gratitude. And gratitude really, it's an emotion that's not terribly easy to, to put into a category or to um, sort of express what it means. Now the word itself is not that difficult. It comes from the Latin word gratia, uh, which means grace or graciousness or gratefulness. Uh, and if you were to look up a definition of the word, you might find something like this. The willingness to recognize the unearned increments of value in one's experience. Well, that looks really good in a term paper. But it doesn't it's not really helpful to us as we're trying to understand exactly what this thing called gratitude is. And so I think a better definition might really be, it's the experience of counting your blessings. That's what gratitude is. Gratitude's the feeling that you have that embodies the words, thank you. It's what you feel when you say thank you to someone. And after looking at it a little bit more, I found out that the field of brain science also has some really interesting things to say about gratitude. Uh, there was a 2003 study that found that starting the day with expressions of gratitude, so in other words, when you get up in the morning, if the first thing you do is, let's just say, find three things that you're grateful for. Let's say you write them down or maybe you just think them. But three things. I'm grateful for the great night's sleep I got, you know, whatever, whatever. But if you'll just, if you will do that, the first thing when you get up, it ends up leading to better sleep, reductions in physical pain, a greater sense of well-being, and a better ability to handle change. 
all from starting your day with gratitude. It truly sets the course of your day. There was another study, this one about five years later in 2008, and they studied people that were experiencing gratitude using uh, what's called a functional MRI, uh, magnetic, resonance imaging, ima magnetic resonance imaging, okay? So in other words, they were looking at their brain while they were experiencing gratitude. And it found out that when that was going on, it was affecting people's hypothalamus in real time. They could actually see things changing. Now, I know you're probably going to hypo what? Well, if you uh, are a little fuzzy on your uh, high school biology, hypothalamus is this teeny little part of your brain that directly influences your sleep, your eating, and your stress. Okay? Which essentially sort of gives credence to what I just said earlier with the earlier study, that it has these positive impacts on our, our daily lives. And so the bottom line to me of this is, is that if you want to live a happier life, if you want to have a, a, a more positive outlook on life, don't limit Thanksgiving to one day a year. <laughs> Make expressing gratitude a daily event. And I think this is something that the Apostle Paul understood. Um, and there's at least one place that I can immediately think of that we see this, uh, and that is in the letter, his letter to the Philippians. So that's what we're going to look at briefly today. The text is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. So I'm going to read that. Um, if you have a Bible or something, uh, an app on your phone, you feel free to follow along. I'll be reading from the uh, ESV uh, translation. So this is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Verse 10 starts, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, clearly Paul was grateful and content with what God had provided him. He says as much in these 10 or 11 verses. And I think in saying that, sort of by extension, he's telling the Philippians and us by association that we as well need to be grateful and content with what God has provided us. 
So how do we do that? Well, there's some clues, I think, in this text. And that's what I want to look at today. So what we're going to be kind of looking at is how do we model what Paul's talking about so that we get to this point of being grateful and content in all things. And I think the first thing that jumps out at me um, is from verse 11, and it's always to put your focus on God. See, verse 11 says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Note as well that where it says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, it does not say in want. You get those two confused an awful lot of the time. What we need and what we want, right? I want this, I want that, I want, I want, I want. Most of the time what you want is, has no relationship to what you need. And so Paul is saying that when he, he's learned that no matter what the situation is, he can be content. Well, what is that? What, is, how do we, what does that contentment look like? And it's a term that sort of comes from the Stoic philosophers okay, uh, of that day. They sort of define contentment um, as this inner spirit or inner feeling of freedom um, and s- discipline to a certain extent. You have this ability to conquer circumstances and situations rather than be conquered by them. Okay. Now, what's interesting is that um, that same school of philosophy really also uh, was basing this on some idea of self-sufficiency, right? That if you were self-sufficient enough, then you could deal with all of these things, which is the exact opposite of what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying it's not about what I can do or what I have. It's about trusting God that he's going to provide these things to make me content. It's the exact opposite attitude of of being anxious and worrying about stuff. So in whatever conditions of life that Paul finds himself in, he simply turns inward to find out, okay, well, what, God, what do you want to do here? What are you doing here? You know, I heard one time that when, when you're in a situation that's not good, let's say, something bad is happening in your life, no matter really what it is, the absolute wrong question to ask is why. You know what the right question to ask is? Would you like to know? The right question to ask is, God, what, are you wa- what do you want me to learn from this situation? What are you trying to teach me in this situation? See, God rarely is going to answer that why question. Rarely. He will, however, answer the other one, which is, Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this particular situation? And so what Paul's doing is he's just really putting his focus and his concentration on the things that are really important, which are what? They're the invisible and eternal things. 
and this closeness of a relationship that he has with Jesus. And it's from Jesus and his strength that he's drawing upon constantly. The other philosophers are saying, you know, you should find that resource within yourself, right? So that you just smile at the fluctuating fortunes of whatever life throws at you. And Paul's saying, no. He says, I'm strong enough for anything because of the one who gives me that strength. It's got nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the God I serve and who lives in me. Something else that I, th I noticed in this is that the sentiment that it's, it's so much better to give than to receive, it's not just a, a, a nice phrase. It's actually true. The reason, and this is what Paul is saying in this letter, the reason that Paul has enough to meet his needs is because other Christians are contributing to his needs. Right? And he's very glad to acknowledge his indebtedness to them. He's telling us a principle here that one Christian has enough because another Christian is generous and is willing to give. Or you could look at it from the standpoint that since every good and perfect gift is from above, the Lord is using the generous Christians to meet the needs of those who don't have as much. And this is one of the things that I think is so important about belonging to a church family. You know, we get phone calls all the time from people looking for help, financial help, whatever. Um, sometimes we're able in a position where we are able to help them. But my philosophy has always been we need to help the people that are part of our family first and foremost. That's why you belong to a family, so that when you run into a time of trouble, you can turn, you have somewhere to turn to. And I think we've proven that time and again, helping folks you know, within our church family who've come across some kind of hard time or need. Um, if we have something left over, then yes, we'll help those out in the community to whatever extent we can. But we need to help those that are part of our family first and foremost. And the really nice thing about this, this whole idea of, of generous Christians helping those in need, is that as Paul is saying, that generosity lays up treasure in heaven. See, Paul was kind of always sensitive about receiving money, uh, monetary help at least, from the churches that he helped start. Um, he didn't want anyone to ever say that, you know, that whole process was motivated by some kind of self-advantage or, you know, some way that he could just get, you know, income, I suppose, from these churches. However, though, with this help that the Philippians have given him, he really makes no bones at all about the joy and the comfort that he got in receiving it. And he, he's even prepared to sort of risk seeming brusque you know, in what he says to emphasize the real value of the gift. You know, he says, not that I seek the gift. Well, that's kind of a, an abrupt 
way of saying thank you. But that's not, his, that's not necessarily his intention. He, he wanted to explain that he was so content to abide by whatever circumstances the Lord appointed for him that he genuinely didn't covet their gifts. But he did covet something else for them, and that's the fruit that increases to their credit when that gift is given. And he really seems to sort of suggest in this that that's the proper attitude or motive that Christians need to cultivate, that they should seek out opportunities to share their generosity. Because by doing that, they're making for themselves purses that do not grow old, a treasure in heaven that does not fail. And so... I think giving, when we give to others, it's a tangible expression of the gratitude that you have for what has been given to you. Third, I think what Paul is saying is that, he's w w that we need to, to truly believe that God is going to supply every need. You know, he tells the Philippians that their obedience and their generosity is going to bring about God's reward. And as they met all of Paul's needs, so God will meet all of theirs. And God does this out of an abundance. A glorious resource that has no limit whatsoever. And how does one draw from these unlimited resources? Well, only through Jesus Christ. Through having a relationship with him then allows them, allows God essentially to truly turn and meet their needs because of that relationship. And the last thing that, that sort of struck me was that in many respects, this is, this is Paul's thank you note to the Philippians. Now the whole letter obviously contains a lot more than just these short verses here that we're looking at today. But it, it's a reminder, I think, the thank you notes are important. See, I, I don't know, you could call me old-fashioned, I suppose, but I still think a written thank you note is far more powerful than just sending somebody an email or a text. It takes virtually no time to tap out a text message. It takes some thought, some planning, some time to sit down, get a note card, a pen, write out what you want to say, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and get it in the mailbox. And I think the person receiving that sort of intuitively understands you know, th that this was a gesture that took time, that someone really meant to say thank you. And I think we don't do enough of that these days. I think it's sort of becoming a lost art, this idea of writing thank you notes. So I will stand here and be an uh, advocate for returning to this practice. Um, and that's kind of going to be your take home today. We talk a lot of times about doing something that puts faith in action, right? Puts in practice 
the words of these, uh, that these writers of the Gospels and the Epistles have told us. And so what you're going to do sometime this week, maybe do it this afternoon. That way it's fresh on your mind. You won't forget. But you're going to go home and you're going to go to your supply of thank you notes. If you don't have a supply of thank you notes, you're going to stop by uh, Walmart or somewhere and get some. They're not hard to find. And I want you to write one thank you note to someone. Doesn't could be for some, some gesture they did. It could just simply be for who they are and what they mean to you. But just take the time to show thanks in that one way. Now, you know, we, we don't get political here. Um, I just don't feel like that's necessarily mixes well with the gospel. But occasionally, I mean, we'll talk about certain political figures, and that was one of the things that I, I truly found admiral, admirable about George Bush Sr. was that he wrote numerous thank you notes every day. He wrote notes to people, thanking them for this or for that. This is a president of the United States taking time out of his day to write notes to people. And you can bet that the people receiving those notes treasured them. You know, to get a note like that, and you know, regardless of what it said, uh, would, be, would be so valuable to you. And I think we underestimate the value of the notes that we send. That it's, you know, maybe it's just, the, it's the courteous thing to do or whatever, but if you write, write one and you write it from your heart, and you really get specific about what it is you're thankful for this person that this person has done or who they are or that maybe it's someone who's always been there for you when you've had a, had rough times maybe it's someone who inspires you yeah. in a certain way um, maybe it's because of something that they have done you know recently or even in the past maybe it's a thank you you should have sent a while back and, and just never got around to, well, it's not too late. You can still acknowledge the, the gift, the sacrifice, the wise counsel, whatever it might be. So that's, that's, your, that's your homework for this week of Thanksgiving, is to, is to write one of these. And, and keep note of how you feel when you do it. Because it may be that this will begin to inspire um, a whole practice, habit, of trying to write maybe one of these a week. You know, you don't have to write multiple thank yous a day. I honestly don't know how a president would find the time to do all that, but he did. Um, so I'm not asking you to do that. But I am asking you to at least think about you know, what, how that might impact your life. And also this practice of, of truly trying to, to find, express gratitude in all of the everyday things of life. And I think if we'll do that, we'll start to become 
we'll, we'll begin to have the contentment that Paul talked about, right? Because we'll begin to realize how much we truly have. And we'll look at things just a lot differently because those wants will begin to, I think, slowly fade away as we truly begin to express gratitude for all that we do have. And, you know, again, traveling, you get a very real picture of just how rich this country is and how much we have relative to so many other places in the world. There is so much that we have to be grateful for. So let's pray. Father, I just, uh, we thank you above all for all of the gifts and the blessings that you have bestowed on us. Lord, you meet every need that we have. It may not be what we want, but we have more than enough of what we need. So we just give you praise, Father, for that. And Lord, I pray right now that even as we close this service and people prepare uh, to go home and to go about their week, that you will bring to mind whoever it is that they are to write this note to, that you will just make it clear to them that, uh, and so this will not be difficult at all, that you will already begin to speak to them even telling them what to say. So we give you thanksgiving, Father, in this week devoted to it. And pray that it is truly something that we give more than just a week's notice to. Bless all of these, your people, Father. bring about an awareness of all they have that they need to express gratitude for. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to have folks uh, set up <coughs> at the back of the room uh, for prayer. If you are in, you know, in need of prayer, I just strongly encourage you to go and to see one of those um, individuals who are more than happy and willing to pray for you. If you've never made a commitment to, uh, to Jesus, then you don't feel like you have a relationship with him. But that's something that you have decided that you want. Then what I would ask you to do, you can do that right right where you are. But I would be most honored to pray with you and to pray a prayer that you then, that you have that relationship. And so if that is something that you desire, then I just ask that you come forward and see me and, and we'll take care of that right here and right now. And then you can truly rejoice on Thanksgiving for all that you've been given. bless you all as you uh, go into this next week. I pray if you're traveling that you have safe travels. Um, 
If you're sticking around here, then I just pray that you have a wonderful and truly blessed uh, Thanksgiving holiday with family and friends and whoever else you spend time with. And I hope we see you here next week. God bless. <laughs>